It was a really interesting week because I've had the privilege of doing this for many years. I'm sure when Pastor Mark's been speaking, he shared with you that he's, uh, he was doing it before I did. In fact, he kind of gave me that opportunity to be involved in it. And it pretty much follows the same pattern. It's a fairly well-structured thing. Um, you can kind of read how the week's going to go from early on. You know that by kind of Wednesday, you're going to get quite a lot of tears because we've given them no sleep and just made them run around for a whole lot of time. And uh, they become quite emotional. And so we try and guard against that when we preach. You don't want to just pick up the emotions of the moment. You want to make sure that God's doing something. So it normally follows a fairly similar pattern. The celebrations work the same, whether they're in the morning or the evening. We have a time of worship, and then uh, we'll do a small interview just so that they can meet one of the officers and ask them some silly questions and then something about how their faith works. Uh, And then we'll bring a message. And the format that I've always used has been very similar. So I would uh, bring a message, and then we'd have a worship song, and then we'd have a response time. And inevitably, we're on a summer camp, and so you talk about something, and you have this response time, and there's young people, and they're knelt, or they're stood, or they've come forward, and they're crying. And you don't want it to be all about that, but you feel good about yourself, because you're like, you know what, I've definitely heard what God's saying for them, and he's working in their lives. And you feel quite good about yourself. So this year I went, thinking, you know what, God, I feel okay. I'm concerned that I've become irrelevant to that generation, so I have my own kind of insecurities. And they were added to, because I started on the first evening, and I spoke, and they stood there, and we had a song, and then we had an opportunity for people to raise their hands if they wanted prayer, and like two people did. There were 65 people there, so two isn't awful, but you know, my average is normally better than that. And the second night rolled around, and a really similar pattern started to occur. So I sat down with the, the kind of core uh, worship team and just said, you know what, like, I'm not sure what God's doing. The problem was every single message I was preaching was about the fact that they weren't to meet the world's expectations. It wasn't about performance. It wasn't about, it's like Mark was saying last week, it's not about how does it look, it's about what God's doing on the inside. So I'm preaching this, and then they're not doing anything on the outside, which I've told them they don't have to, but then I'm disappointed. So I'm aware that I'm kind of in a bit of an issue myself. So we prayed together, and um, as the week went on, I had the opportunity to spend time with the campers outside of the celebrations, and I was just talking to them, and it became very apparent that what we were dealing with this year was probably somewhere about 80% of them were saved. We very rarely have that size number, very rarely are that many of them engaged in church life. So the realization was that actually what we were saying, while still true and still relevant to them, was hitting a brick wall. And the brick wall sounded a lot like this, and this is just a few of the comments that were made to either myself or other officers that were there. They'd say things like, I want to feel God. I don't feel him. I want to go deeper with my faith. Or God doesn't seem to get involved with the things I've got going on. And that became a real common theme of what they were saying. And as you can imagine, I was outraged. And I sat there and I was like, God, why would you do this to this generation? We're talking like 50 young people who are saying they want to see more of you in their lives. They want to go deeper with you. And yet you're doing nothing, God. And I was so frustrated. And again, more conversations happened. And I started to kind of share this frustration with other people. Me and Law spoke about it for a while. And I came to a very real realization. I came to the realization that it wasn't on God. God was doing a pretty good job of being God. And he's done that for a long time, so I trust that to him implicitly. The problem was that they said a lot of these things, and they did nothing about it. Did nothing about it. 
They were lethargic, apathetic, didn't really choose to engage in their churches. They said all the right words, but they weren't really following it up. And again, I was so frustrated, frustrated with them, laid a challenge to them one morning, just said, you know what, it's on you guys to start bringing the stuff you've got to God. And then it hit me. It hit me very clearly, and something that I took on and I've been really processing for the week is a huge amount of what they see is us. A huge amount of the way they understand their relationship with God is through us. So if they're a generation that are growing up thinking it's okay to dip in and out of their faith, that's on me. If they're a generation who are saying, you know, I want to feel God more, but I don't really want to have to put any effort in, that's, on, that's my responsibility for modeling that at times. It's all of our responsibility to realize that actually there are times when we are saying, you know what, I like, I like God. I like the church thing, but I don't really want it to cost me anything. I don't really want it to kind of impede too much on my life. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying be fake. Young people are the, the best at spotting fakeness. So don't feed them lies. Don't pretend to be something you're not. But let's make this a challenge for us. When I'm doing life, when we're doing life, are we looking at what's in front of us? Or are we willing to look at what God's doing in front of us? Because actually, like I said, God is doing God really well. He's done that for a long time. So we need to be aware that he is still being God. And he's still working in the lives of those around us. So the question comes down to us. Are we aware of that? Are we seeing that? Or are we plowing headlong in with our own agenda, with our own ideals, and we're missing what God's doing? I want to ask us this question as I begin to invite Julian up to read this morning. Do we believe there's more? Do we believe there's more going on than we're aware of? Do we believe there's more for people than maybe what they already live? Are we willing to begin to consider that maybe there is more available to us day to day? So Julian's going to come now and read for us an amazing interaction between Jesus and a woman. And in this wonderfully simple interaction, we're going to see actually that there is a whole lot more going on than maybe we see. Cheers, fella. Our reading this morning is taken from the fourth uh, book of John, also fourth chapter of John, and we read in verses 1 to 42. It's split up into two parts. The first part is Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the, Lord le- when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "'Will you give me a drink?' His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank for, from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give, I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you, are, you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, will he explain everything to us? Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Then we have a section entitled, The Disciples Rejoin Jesus. Jesus, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crops for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know what this man really is, the saviour of the world. Thank you so much. I love that. I love um, 
when I was planning this, I was trying to work out how do you break up the text so that the elements that I wanted were there without losing the integrity of the story. Um, so uh, I decided we'd go with the whole thing. And I really love just hearing scripture read like that. So thank you, Julian, for taking that on. And um, it's a huge bit of text. So please don't fear that we're going to be here until next Sunday, just working our way through each part of it. But I do want us to look at three elements, three ways I feel like we can break it up. We've got the woman at the well, we've got the disciples return, and we've got the villagers believing. I just want us to touch on those three areas. I want us to consider how did we get from Jesus passing through somewhere to a village being saved? Because I think in that transaction between the moving and the salvation, what we see going on there is what we can so easily miss in life. Because there has to be more in that moment than simply Jesus on his way. There has to be more going on. So we're going to begin with the woman at the well. Everything we read of Jesus, all of the amazing stories we see, all of the accounts, all of the things we're drawn to, we see a real common thread. And I'm sure as I say that, you begin to try and draw in some of the ideas of what that common thread could be. And I promise you, it's slightly more obvious than maybe we considered it to be. The common thread with every one of the Jesus encounters we read is that Jesus is present. Jesus is present. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, water Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? I don't know if you'd considered this, but we would have none of those amazing accounts, none of those stories, none of the parables, the Sermon on the Mount would be discarded if Jesus wasn't present. And that may be blindingly obvious to all of you, and maybe I'm just a little bit slow on the uptake, because we begin to say, well, obviously he had to be there. He had to be present. He had to be there for us to see his life play out, for those people to meet with him, for the interactions which then leaves us with a really interesting question. Why so often do we think we don't need to be present? Why have we decided that our absence is okay if Jesus was willing to be present in those places? I've said it before in this church, and I've had conversations with people. We are desperate, desperate to see loved ones meet with Jesus. Desperate to see neighbors coming and worshiping with us. And yet we can get so caught up in our lives, so busy with the things that we're doing, that we don't actually give them the time with us for that to happen. We do this, and I'm sure there's others who have done it, I do it. We decide we're not going to go to the pub because it's not our safe space. Pubs are bad. I can't go and spend time with them there. But yet we expect them to come here, which isn't their safe space. We're too busy to go and spend time with them because we've got all these church events we need to be at, be a part of. It's funny. We follow a Christ who tells us that he's not here just for those that are well, but those that are sick. Yet we spend so much time in here, so much time safe. The list could go on and on and on. And this, I believe, is our first problem. How do we expect God to impact out there when we don't go there anymore? How do we expect God to impact the lives of our friends if we are no longer present with them? For some of you, you can bring up the excuses. You've done this before, so it's pretty easy. There's reasons I can't be there. 
It's not good for me to be seen there. Actually, that person's in a really bad way. There's, there's the list that we can go through. I do need to be here because this is important. If I'm not here, people will, will ask questions. And we make this list. And yet, in this text, we see Jesus destroy our lists. I say that very comfortably. The first part is because Jesus is at the well with a woman. That is like a big no-no. He is crossing a line there. Culturally, that is a no-no. Jesus, not just at a well with a woman on his own, it's a Samaritan. That is just, this is not a good place for Jesus to be. This is that moment where you're like, oh my gosh, he is in trouble. Someone, the wrong person walks past here, there's going to be tabloid headlines. This is going downhill fast for him. Yet Jesus is present in that place. In that moment, he doesn't just smash cultural expectations of gender and race. He smashes just the culture completely. Are we willing to be that kind of person? We are called to be present in the lives of those around us physically present in the lives of those around us, so much so that it will smash the world's view. We want to be above those things. I don't want to be held by the way the world tells me I need to function. I don't want to be held by that. I believe that Jesus himself wasn't held by it. I'm going to read this line because I think it's important. Jesus saw through the politics to the person. Jesus saw through the politics to the person. How often are we held by social expectations? How often do we do that thing, and I'm guilty of it, where we see someone homeless and we're like, I, I don't want to be associated with, with that because people might think ill of me. They might think I'm homeless if I'm sat by them because I don't always dress the best. So if I sit and give them the time of day, what will people think of me? And here we see Jesus saying, you know what, I don't care what people think of me. My calling is to be present with the people that need me. And I want to be more like that. I want to be someone who isn't afraid of what the politics say, but loves the person. So that first challenge for us, are we willing to be present? Are we willing to be in the places physically? This isn't some wonderful metaphor. Are we physically willing to be present in the lives of those around us? Because simply by doing so, we will begin to break down the barriers in their lives and we will begin to mess up the expectations the world has on the church. And that excites me. Because that's where we'll start to see differences. That's where we see Jesus doing something in this passage which is bigger. And that leads perfectly on to our second section. And I think this is very much a warning for us. Looking at this idea that the disciples returned... Verse 8, we read this, just to put it into context. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Jesus was alone. The disciples had gone. They had an agenda to buy food. We're given that quite clearly. And then we have one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. If you have a Bible with you and you've uh, turned to the verse, just find it. It's verse 27, just so you know that I'm not making up what I'm about to say. Verse 27, found in one of the Gospels, which we would hold as one of the most important parts of the Bible as regards to Jesus' mission on earth. And verse 27 is full of something incredibly interesting. It reads like this, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? 
Or why are you talking to her? Have you ever considered why in this verse John writes about things that didn't happen? John's written two questions that no one asked. This, this isn't an account of what happened. This is John, quite possibly in reflection, saying at that point, no one said, Jesus, why are you talking to a woman? How can, Jesus, what can we do for you? What, what's the issue here? John has just written two things that never happened. And too often we read these stories and we just miss moments like this. There is something incredibly important about the fact that John talks about questions they didn't ask. To the point where they've returned and they've not considered the fact that Jesus is talking to a woman, big no-no, Samaritan woman at that, even bigger issue. They've not really considered any of these situations. So John records what they didn't say. Jesus is showing something to us about being present, physically present. But the disciples are showing us something even deeper, and that's about being aware. How aware are we of what God's doing when we are present? Have we steamrolled in with our agenda and our priorities, our plans, and therefore we've completely missed what God's doing? Very quickly, I had this experience last year at Hill House. Um, as the speaker, and please don't think I'm saying this because I believe any of it, but as the speaker, people want to be, be with you. They want to talk to you. And so I would spend some time with the officers after the evening meeting, just briefing them, letting them know kind of uh, the journey that the message has been on, what's coming the next day so they can talk to their campers. And a good friend of mine uh, would spend some time with me, and then uh, another person would join us, and the three of us would just be conversing. And I was pretty comfortable. I was like, you know what, I get it. People want to be around me. It's all right. And um, I just rolled with that. I was quite happy with that. Until three weeks after camp, they announced that they were dating. And it turns out the whole time I was just third wheeling. I was in the way. I was blissfully unaware of the fact these two were courting each other, and I was just spouting off stuff that I wanted to talk about. But we do that. We, I had no idea what was happening in front of me. Other people were like, they're to totally getting together. I was like, not a chance. I've been in discussions with them. All they want to talk about is Jesus. I don't know if they said anything. I think it was just me. But we can do that. We can be in a situation, and we're so sure of how it's going and what's happening that we have no idea actually what was going on. That's a completely true story, but it makes a wonderful point because we see it here. We see that sometimes we can be present, but we are not spiritually aware. We are spiritually turned off to what God is doing in that moment. The reason I believe John highlights those two questions the disciples didn't ask is because it just helps us to see that when the disciples returned, they were not looking for what God was doing. They were not looking for what God was doing. Instead, they came with an agenda, and that agenda was going to trump everything else that was happening. They were present, but they were not wholly present. We see that in verse 31. They've returned, they've not asked these questions. The next time we encounter them, they say this. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. These guys have returned, and the most important thing on their mind is food. I get that. I like food a whole lot. But the disciples have returned to a situation that is bizarre and isn't right politically, and all they are thinking about in that moment is, when can we sit down and eat a proper meal? Because we've gone and bought all the food, Jesus, and we're ready to eat. 
They were so caught up in that. We get so caught up in that that we miss what's going on. They returned. They didn't ask any questions. They didn't probe into what was going on. I imagine they sat there quietly just waiting for the opportunity to say, when can we eat? When can we get on with food? So much so, and I'm so confident in this, the verses that I missed out read like this, 28, 29, and 30. The disciples have returned. They've not asked questions. The first time we hear them speak is to tell Jesus they should have some lunch. And this is what happened in the middle. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Jesus just released a woman into evangelism and the disciples' main agenda, food. How often do we miss what God's doing because we've come with our agenda? We see here the disciples, they spend all this time with Jesus and yet in this moment they have just completely locked out from the fact this woman has gone to tell an entire town that Jesus is amongst them. And instead what we read is that they go, okay, now she's gone, can we eat? There is no awareness no awareness to what God's doing. And if they can get to that place, if they can be in that situation, I want to ask us this very deliberate question. They were present with Jesus. They were physically present in his life. And they missed what God was doing. Completely missed it. How often do we do that? How often have you been sat there like I was, third-wheeling a situation, when actually God's just there going, you know what, I'm doing something. It'd be great if you could tune into that right now. I know you really want to invite this person to go and watch the football with you, but right now they're desperate for you just to ask what's wrong. But God, I need to invite them to the football because the football's at the church, and if they come to church, then they'll know you. And he's like, trust me, just ask them if they want prayer. We get so caught up, we miss what God's doing. Often with the best intentions. Are we present and are we willing to be aware? Are we willing to take our agenda off the table and see what God's agenda is in others' lives? Being present for some of us is hard. Being aware for some of us is hard. It's not easy. But it's not on us. It's not on us. This final section I just want to touch on. If the disciples missed it, if the disciples were there with Jesus, they'd seen the things he could do, and they returned to a situation that should never have occurred culturally. This should never have happened in that time. Jesus sat with a woman talking. And they didn't see what God was doing in that moment. And yet God still did what he needed to do. How much maybe are we missing? Because this is the significance of what God was doing in that moment. This is what God was doing, and they missed it. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no, longer just be, uh, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. It's an amazing story and all the disciples cared about was food. 
I find that a real relief because I can steamroll into situations believing that I've got the best laid plans. And it's really, really relieving for me to know that God has a bigger picture, a bigger plan. And we need to tune into that. We need to be aware of it. I don't want to miss what God's doing. And I do. So hung up on responsibility, I can miss what God's doing. I don't want to get so caught up in things that I miss seeing salvation. Sometimes with the best will in the world, with the best agendas, we can miss those amazing moments in people's lives. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to get so hung up on things that I miss what God is up to. And I mean this. I don't want us as a church to get so carried away with what we're doing, with the things that we can put on, with our best laid plans, that we completely miss what God is doing. And we can do that. We could get so good at what we do, we can completely forget what God does. I don't want to get caught in that game. So I want to close with these challenges. I want you to consider what God's doing in your life. What's he doing in your life? Then I want you to consider what is he doing in the lives of those around you? Those that you do life with. What's God up to in their lives? And that will leave one of two very key conclusions. And that is, are you present enough to know what God's doing? Are you present enough to be aware of what God is doing in their lives? And it's okay because we can do something about that. We can still do something about that. Three key points, if you will. Things that I'm trying to implement in my life. I've taken them from someone else. These aren't wonderful pieces of wisdom I have. They're just things that I'm going, you know what, God, I want to try and do this. The first one, open your eyes to the moment. Open your eyes to the moment. What is actually before me? What really is there happening? Am I aware of who's around me, of what God might be doing? The second one, open your eyes to who they are. Who are the people in your lives that need you to be present? Who is there that needs you to be aware? And then that final one, open your eyes to what they need. What do they need? Not what do you think they need, because we're real good as churches at bringing what we think people need. But what do they need? Are you willing to stand in that gap for them? Are you willing to be present and aware and willing to be involved? In that stunning passage that Julian read, we saw Jesus breaking down boundaries. We saw the people that spent the most time with him completely missing it because they went with their own agenda. I don't want to do that. I don't want to get caught up in what I'm doing. I want to be involved in what God's doing. And that is how we will see change. That is how we will see lives impacted, not through our best efforts, but through what God is doing in them.